Mac Power Users, Episode 683, Automating Production with Ian Bird. Welcome to the Mac Power Users. I'm David Sparks, but Stephen Hackett couldn't be here today. But that's okay. I've got a friend here with me today. Welcome back to the show, Ian Bird. Hello, David. How are you doing? Excellent. Uh, Stephen is uh, working really hard on St. Jude stuff this week, and I told him, take the week off. Do that. That's more important. And uh, when we discussed that, I thought, you know who I'd love to have on to catch up with is Ian Bird. You're one of my favorite guests, Ian. I have to admit oh, it. Don't tell anybody I said much. that, though. I mean, <laughs> I'm honored to be on. Yeah, Ian uh, and I, we both were in Orange County for a while, but now you're up in Portland. Uh, Ian is a teacher. He specialized in teaching gifted children. And from there, he went on to form a business where he teaches teachers how to teach gifted children. That was a lot of teaching there, Ian. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've actually moved out to Astoria, Oregon now. Wait a second. Is that where they did the Goonies? Yeah, The Goonies, Short Circuit, um, Kindergarten oh, Cop man. was filmed. There's a, a surprising number of movies filmed in the small town. I loved that Goonies movie so much when I was a kid. I, I think, do you have a couch or something, Ian? Is it okay if I just show up one day? I, I need to get up there <laughs> and see The Goonies. Uh, don't they do like a thing every year for The Goonies too? Well, the big thing is they just, somebody new just bought the house where the movie starts. Yeah, And for a long time, the person who owned it did not, appreciate the attention and so it was like really hard to it is like on a residential street and it's not really a a good tourist spot but yeah so there's a new person now who i guess is excited to make it more um fan friendly i had a trial once it was like 10 minutes away from the et house you know and oh um, yeah and i because that's like on the internet and i thought so often about just driving past it one day after court and I never could bring myself to do it because I thought it was just a little bit too creepy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When someone's actually living there, yeah, it's a little creepy. Yeah, exactly. Well, either way, Ian, uh, he's a teacher who teaches teachers. And uh, it, it, since the last time he was on Mac Power Users, he has uh, he's changed the business fundamentally. You know, uh, COVID, I'm sure, had an effect on that. But also, I think that was just kind of the trend you were heading anyway. So today we're going to be catching up with Ian about his gear, his business transformation to basically online learning. Um, We're going to be talking about video and recording and production workflows and automation. And we got a a bunch of stuff in the outline gang. So hopefully we got something for everybody today. And uh, and thanks so much for coming in and filling in on the week Stephen couldn't be here. Yeah, no problem. All right. So Ian, it has been years. What gear are you using these days? Yeah, so... um for me, the biggest change was um, mo- moving from a lot of traveling to now um, I have a little home office. We bought our first home during the pandemic. Um, and so it's the first time where I've really had a space. So I've moved from a laptop-centric setup to um, having a Mac Studio or, yeah, Mac Studio on my desk and like a whole built-out um, setup. Uh, and, and I'm loving it. It's like the first, it's the only Mac desktop I've ever owned. And I think it's like the first desktop I've had in like 15 years. Yeah, I mean, laptops got so powerful that for a lot of people, it just didn't make sense. And if you're if you're going to school or going on the road, you know, you want to be able to bring your Mac with you. Um, yeah. Uh, the the Mac Studio has been very popular. I've heard from a lot of listeners that bought them and love them. 
Steven just sold his. He was complaining a bit about the fan, but I think he's a fiddly podcaster. But uh, how has the Mac Studio been for you? It's been great. Like, I couldn't even tell you if it has a fan. I've never yeah, noticed it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, what I I had bought a the, the first M1 MacBook Pro, like right when it came out. Yeah. Um, and it was such a big... Um, it was such a big upgrade over my my Intel 13-inch MacBook Pro, which the fans were constantly spinning up on that. And it just like it was just kind of a frustrating experience. Um, and that M1, you know, it felt like it was 10 times the computer. Yeah. Um, so I I used that as sort of a desktop and a laptop um for a while. And I was really waiting for, you know, once I realized how I'm barely traveling at all. I'm pretty much at my home office now. I could probably just set something up. Um, I was really waiting for like a Mac Mini Pro, which yeah, which we just got. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad I'm glad that I didn't wait because it would have yeah. been like a whole another year. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So once once I saw that Mac Studio, I feel like it's a little it's a little overkill for what I need. But I don't know. I'll probably have it for you know years and years. Well, I mean, that's true. Head, uh, overkill sometimes equals headroom, you know, gives you more time with the device. Yeah. And I do, I feel like, you know, using the laptop and having to, you know, take it out of its desktop setup and bring it back, um, you know, it would just create friction and I'd have to, you know, eject the hard drives and um, ha- having this set up like this, um, I just, I barely even notice that it's there, which I think is like the best compliment. It yeah. just, it always works. It always turns on, you know, I, sometimes at the laptop, the monitor wouldn't turn on or, you know, I'd have to open it up out of clamshell mode, but I've never had any problem like that. So that's what I really like about it is it just, um, it just works. It never, you know, it it has a lot of headroom for me. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy with it. I don't think that I'll replace it for a while. Yeah, I bet you get years out of it. Uh, the listeners are tired of me saying this, but I really feel like with the transition to Apple Silicon, we're going to get more lifespan out of the devices because there's just fewer moving parts. You know, it's like going from an internal combustion engine to an electric car. They, you know, the carburetor and the you know all the stuff that you've got that breaks on a regular car just isn't there anymore. So. The fewer things to break would hopefully equal longer. Yeah, and and I use I use all of the ports, so I I no longer have like a like a hub that I have to have plugged in. Um, so I appreciate all that. I don't really use the SD slot, but maybe someday. Do you keep it on top of your desk? You know, I just bought a mount because I added some speakers, and now I feel like there's too much stuff. Um, but I haven't I haven't got around to installing it yet. Yeah, I really think that that Mac Studio is a great computer. And I think Stephen would probably agree too. It just wasn't <laughs> right for what he was doing and he wanted a MacBook Pro, but the I I think that it's it's really good and it's not a pro computer in the sense of it doesn't have plug-in ports. But now yeah. we're getting all these weird rumors. I've been talking about this in the Mac Sparky Labs that they're talking about this may be the only Mac Studio and that the Mac Pro will be a lot closer to what you have, but maybe with external port support. I don't know. I mean. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what, yeah. what ends up happening. Because, yeah, like I said, I could probably do fine with a Mac Mini with like the Pro chip. Yeah. 
Well, we have a lot of listeners that have bought those in the last month and love them. So, you know, I, I think Apple is doing great on Mac hardware. But it is yeah. interesting to me, uh, when we spoke with you last, you were a big proponent of the iPad. In fact, I have quoted you many times over the years. Uh, I don't know if you listen to this show, you probably heard me say it, but that when you told me once, I look at the iPad as a way to determine things I should delegate. If I can't do it on an iPad, I delegate it. I thought, man, that is brilliant. And um, <laughs> But I don't even see the iPad on your list anymore. Is it still a thing for you? It's really not a thing. Um, I, I have a 2018 um, iPad Pro, so it, it still has the lightning port and the uh, home button. Yeah, that's the one I have. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just... Oh, wait, it's not. I have the one after that. I have, I have the, the yeah, first one after like the that. Older, yeah, it's the older... It was like the one 10.5 size. Yeah. yeah. You know, and what, what I found was I couldn't quite do all of the the administrative stuff that I was like trying to use it, you know, to use it as a delegation machine. Um, there were a lot of, you know, there were occasional emails where I would leave it in the inbox because I wanted to like take care of it once I got back to my real computer. Yeah. Um, and that just became, especially once the M1 MacBook came out, it just, it just felt like it was too much friction to have two totally different workflows. I feel like the the MacBook Air in particular really like closed the gap. Like before it was the MacBook Air even had fan noise and low battery life and no instant on and the iPad had all those things. And yeah. then the MacBook Air with Apple Silicon got that. Now, we still don't have the cellular radio, but most everything yeah. else is just kind of there for you now in a Mac if yeah. you want. That's yeah, and that's really the one thing that I do I do miss about. I mean, I like the size of the iPad Pro, like it it it's just a little bit smaller. But yeah, I, I do miss being able to just connect anywhere. I I end up just using my my phone and tethering, but but yeah, I, I feel like there were enough apps that were missing like some bit of functionality on the iPad that I just kept running into that problem where maybe it's like 15% of the work I can't quite finish. And I have to like remember to do it somewhere else. If you look at the rumors, it sounds like Apple is finally about ready to start using their own modem in the iPhone. Oh. And I really hope that means that once they have that technology nailed down, they can put it into Apple Silicon on a Mac. It feels to me yeah. like, I mean, once you own the modem, then what's the reason not to put it into a MacBook as well? I do also have the MacBook Air, the M2. Um, and it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I would love something even smaller. And yeah, if it had a cell connection, that would be like an instant buy. Yeah, are you like, um, there's a lot of people that would love like the return of the MacBook, uh, what's Gray called, adorable, the MacBook, the the little 12-incher that they had yeah. and didn't have? I've never had anything smaller than a 13 because I've always just had the one machine but now like having the desktop that can like be the desktop, um, it does, it, it makes me wish that the laptop was even more portable and like, you know, more to that side of the spectrum. I forgot to ask, what kind of monitor are you using with your Mac Studio? <laughs> um, it's an LG Ultrawide. Um, I can give you the, I don't know the model off the top of my head. Sure. But I think it's 
38 inches. Wow. It's one of those bendy ones, right? It's kind of curves it around. It curves a little yeah. bit. I'm used to it now, but whenever anyone comes into this room, it's the first thing that they comment on because it is like, it does look like two monitors next to each other. Um, and that, I really like the size because I can have two apps open side by side and they're they're like fully functional. Um, I had had a 4K more like standard size, like a 27-inch 4K yeah. Dell for years. And I could put two apps next to each other, but as soon as I like started opening sidebars and stuff, it would get a little too constricted. So with this setup, I can, I can really work in two apps at the same time. I had traded my, my iMac Pro for a big one. And if I didn't have this one, I think I would be tempted by those widescreen monitors for just that reason, just having the side-to-side screen real estate. It took me a long time to actually buy this because I feel like it's very hard to shop for monitors. It's hard to like go to a place and see a bunch of options. And then like on Amazon, they, they all have like different versions of their specs. And it's, it just becomes very hard to compare, you know, monitors across companies and even sometimes from the same company. Yeah. And then Apple just has so few options that. None of those really work for me. Was the studio display for sale when you bought that one? Um, no. No, I had bought this back when I was still using the laptop. Do you think you'd be tempted by the studio display or are you hooked on the widescreen now? I don't think I don't think it's big enough. It's is it twenty seven inch still? Yeah. 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 See now, yeah, I would have to have something bigger now. How do you do window management on super wide? You know, what do you have an app or I mean, how do you get things where you want them with, with that much real estate? Yeah, if something becomes full screen, it is ridiculous. <laughs> like yeah. the, the only thing is is a like a video editing app that can be useful sometimes to have all that horizontal space. But yeah, if Safari opens up full screen, it it's really disorienting. Yeah. And then probably a lot of dead space too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um so I use Moom M O O M for window management. It's pretty simple. I just have like move the window to the left half, move the window to the right half. Um, and then I have like a center 50% setting. And then I actually run all that on the stream deck. So I can just, you know, I can just push a button and it moves, moves the windows around. Okay. So let the record reflect that at the 15 minute mark, we started talking about stream deck just, just so everybody knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know did you know that moom has apple script support i wonder if that I, I actually am now thinking about how how i got this hooked up into the stream deck no i don't think i knew that yeah it is really great so and it's like a one-line script and rather than me try to explain apple script on the podcast i am going to <laughs> i'm going to do it on the blog I, this is the second week in a row i've given myself a deadline but i the, there's a very simple script. So if you set up like your favorite, like when you do video production, you set the windows just the way you like. In Moom, they have a feature where you can save it as a setup. Well, you can call that setup with one line of Apple script. And oh. I do that all the time in like keyboard maestro scripts, but you could also just put it on a stream deck button where yeah. you just push a button and say, okay, I'm a new video production. And it not only does it put the windows where you want them, it actually calls the apps and it, it's very clever. And, um, yeah, that's, you know, you know, I've thought about adding a smaller Stream Deck that that just has a set of buttons that I use all the time, 
because I have all these profiles on the Stream Deck and so, some of them I haven't added the window management buttons. Uh, yeah. And then I'm like totally lost when they're not there. Yeah. So I've, I've thought about like adding a small one that just has some of those like core features I use all the time. Yeah. I, uh, I should not say anything right now. <laughs> Are you a multi-Stream Deck person? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have two of the big ones. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I um, We had a, uh, it's a long story, but I got one of them used, but it's like, I have to explain myself, but yeah, I have two big ones and one of them is completely static. So it's always the exact same stuff, which has things like, you know, lighting and windows or, or setups on it. That's what I call yeah. it, stuff like that. And then the other one changes based on the context of what I'm working on. But yeah, no, I totally, uh, I totally get that because yeah. I do find myself like copying and pasting the same functions into multiple profiles. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to be technical, <laughs> I also have a stream deck plus, which is the one with the dials and I have a pedal too. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, um, I, uh, I have a problem in, <laughs> Well, now, now I feel good about buying the second one. Yeah, it's okay. It's just just tell your <laughs> wife that Sparky said it's okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, well, we went down a rabbit hole there. But but I, I do think like there's a lot of window management tools, but Moom is one of the few I know that does a good job of allowing you to call it via Apple script, which then means you can call it with a shortcut. You can call it with Keyboard Maestro. You can call it basically with any automation tool on your Mac. And you can even attach it to a Stream Deck button. So if you want to do setups with Moom, yeah, uh, that's the trick to use that little Apple okay. script. Yeah, I'm going to have to look at that now. The other thing that you've got that's weird uh, is you're using a Wacom tablet as your main input device. I mean, we hear yes. from folks with the ball mouses. We hear from folks with mm. a lot of different input devices. I think yeah. you're one of the few that's ever come on that uses the Wacom tablet as your mouse. You know, for a while I had a a vertical mouse because I I get I don't like even a know shoulder. What that is. <laughs> well, like if you think about how your hand oh, rotates you down, it's si- like sideways. Yes. Yeah, it sticks up. Yeah. It's a, it's pretty awkward to use, so I I ended up not using it for very long. But yeah. yeah, I get like a shoulder pain if I have my if I'm using like a trackpad a lot with my right hand. So yeah, I had seen. Um, I think. CGP Gray uses, I think that's who I heard about it first yeah, from. Mike, I think, is the only other person I know that does that. But I don't even know that he does it full-time. Yeah, well, I didn't intend to do it full-time, but it it just it feels really natural for me. And then at, at first it is a little bit awkward, but um, I've used it for a few years now. And it is, um, I really prefer using the pen. And there's like a few setup things you have to get, um, get right, but um, it really solved like that shoulder pain that I was having. Um, and I do, I don't know. I feel like it has a very natural feel to hold a pen that way, rather than like rotating my hand down to use um, a mouse or a trackpad. Do you do a lot of drawing with it or is it just really as a mouse? It's almost entirely like a mouse. Um, once in a while I do drawing or if I'm doing any like photo editing, it's, um, it's especially helpful. Yeah. I find it really useful for just for just using it in as you would use a mouse. Um, it I do have a trackpad on the left side because you can't really do the like pinch to zoom and those like multi-finger gestures that you can do on a trackpad. Yeah. So if I'm like scrolling, things like that, I'll use I'll use my left hand with the um 
it's it's Apple's trackpad. But most of the mousing I do, the I use the pen. Like I was saying, because you do a lot of video editing, isn't that hard to like get the scrub point with a pencil? Like you got to land it exactly the right spot, or am I just making this harder than it is? I mean, a lot of the video editing, like it will snap to, to like where you want it to go. So I think yeah. that handles a lot of that. There, it's definitely not. You lose some of the precision, I think, because it isn't like an Apple device. Yeah, I keep it plugged in, which um, which helps a lot with the latency. Sure, like I keep the pad plugged into the computer, um, and then you don't have to keep it charged either. Now they have like the the Wacom. Now I never know if it's Wacom or Wacom. <laughs> I I think it is Wacom. I've always said Wacom, but yeah. I think Wacom's right. Um. But they have about a lot of different sizes now. You know, it used to be a thing, but now you yeah. can get them kind of small, kind of big. What? How big did you go with it? Uh, I'm pretty sure this is a medium size, and I don't, I don't think I could get any bigger than that. I, I think it's this is a good size for just like the kind of work that I do, and it's still, it's still small enough to keep, you know, with the keyboard and the trackpad. Yeah. Um, I don't use like any of the buttons. That are on it. It has like a scroll wheel and stuff. Um, I've I've like tried to use those, but it because I've got my other hand on the keyboard, it's just like easier to use keyboard shortcuts. Yeah. It does have the like the pen has a couple different like clicking spots. So I do have like a right click option um on the pen. And then and then they also have the Wacom like Cintiqs where it actually is a display, but that's not what you're using. Yes. You're just using the, the, the simple one. Now yeah. What are the, give me just for people out there listening and thinking about this, what are the parts that are delightful and what are the parts that still are frustrating of using a, uh, a, a pen tablet for your mouse? I mean, the delightful thing, the big part is that I don't have that like RSI um, yeah, popping not, up at all. Not injuring yourself is always good. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is very delightful. But it does like, I, I like the way it feels when I'm using it. If, if it's, if I do end up using a trackpad instead, it, it just feels a little bit different. I don't know if it's because I'm the movement is bigger or something, but it feels kind of nice. I mean, people talk about that with like taking like handwritten notes. You know, there's like something yeah. about that movement that feels good in some way. Yeah. Um, but it does it. There's a, occasionally times where it will like not pick up something that I'm trying to drag. Um, that that is a little bit of a problem. Um just because I think it's not, it doesn't have that same connection to the system that the the Apple products do. Do you ever uh, use it to like handwrite notes, like open up like an app like GoodNotes for Mac and just start handwriting on it? I haven't done anything like that extensive. Um, sometimes in my videos, I will have something handwritten, but it's pretty small. So I've, I've never done like paragraph writing. Yeah, I think it would be hard. If you use it in something like Photoshop or any of those you know, they support a lot of like tilt and pressure that you don't really get in something like Keynote. Um, but that's pretty, uh, that's a pretty amazing feeling is, you know, having it feel like it's like it's a brush on the screen. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander. Get your team communicating faster so they can focus on what's more important. With Text Expander, your team's knowledge is at their fingertips. Text Expander is the tool that helps you get your text 
faster and more automated, and it works great with your teams. It keeps everybody on the same page by getting information out of silos and into the hands of everyone that needs it. With Text Expander, you can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending out a unified message to your customers and isn't spending time reinventing the wheel. Common messaging is so important, and Text Expander makes that so easy. Here's how it works. First, you store it. You take your company's most important used email, text, phrases, messaging, even URLs, and you put them right inside Text Expander. And then you share it. You get your whole team to access all the content they need to use every day. They can organize it by department and then expand it and deploy the content you need with just a few keystrokes on any device across any apps you use. Anybody on the team that uses Text Expander always gets the same messages, phrasing, URLs out to the public. It's the way to do this. It works so well. I've heard from a bunch of listeners that are using it in their companies, and you should check it out too. You can look like a hero. You can make things easier. You can think make things more accurate. And you can do all of that with Text Expander. It's it's really that easy. And it's available now on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And show listeners get 20% off their first year. So just think about that. You bring this into your company. Not only do you help them out, but you also save them 20% when you go to the link textexpander.com slash MPU. So head there right now, textexpander.com slash MPU to learn more and sign up. And thank you, Text Expander, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users. Ian, we were talking before the show recorded about the change in the nature of your work. So, you know, historically, once you left the public school system and you started teaching teachers, you spent a lot of time on airplanes and in hotels going around districts and kind of giving live sessions. But even before COVID, I got the impression that was wearing thin on you. I had done that for about five years I was at the peak, I was doing uh, like 100,000 miles a year flying around. And my dad did a lot of travel for work. A lot of people who who travel a lot, like you do hit a point where you're just like burnt out. At first, it's fun. And then it just kind of becomes repetitive and you're kind of dealing with the same issues over and over. So I had started after I left the classroom, I had started like a, a video website but I didn't really do much with it for a while. And so as I started to feel that like burnout from traveling so much, um, I started to seriously think about what I could do with this video site. Um, and at first it was, at first my idea was to move my, you know, my presentations onto video format. Um, and so I did that for a little while. And then, you know, what teachers what I came to realize was that teachers don't really want to listen to somebody talk about ways to improve their teaching like what they really need is just something that's that takes the work off their plate so i started moving from creating videos that were for teachers and started making them directly for students so that teachers could just play them for either their whole class or um really like my target was what do you do with these students who they already know what you're teaching as a teacher you always wished for a second teacher who could take those students and go do something else with them. Sure. Um, and so that was kind of the mindset was like this. If you if I make videos that are really step-by-step step and clear enough, um, you could offload groups of students and have them kind of work through this, listen to, to me giving directions, and then work through the tasks. And then as the teacher who's actually there, 
you can go by and check in on them and answer questions and give tips and things. And so that that video site transformed into something where these are actual like lessons that I have written out. I've broken them up into steps and you can just assign them to students who need something different. And how's that going? Well, uh, <laughs> so I started this in like 2018 was when I really like started to make this move and going from speaking to districts like it's a kind of a long process to step away from that because yeah. I mean, I know you do presentations, like they get booked out a year or sometimes even more in advance. So I had, we had our kid in 2018, you know, that really put the pressure on like, I don't think I want to be traveling this much with, with a newborn and all having my wife have to handle all that while I'm gone. So I really started emphasizing this, um, this online site. And it really, it started to take off pretty immediately. And, and like that fall, I had the feeling like, okay, I can start to, to start saying no to all these speaking engagements for the next year. Um, and so strangely enough, I had it timed where like November of 2019 was my last scheduled speaking engagement. And I was able to like move over to the, the video income at that point. Sure. Um, so then. When COVID started, like three months later, um, I was like, very fortunately, already doing like a virtual style learning. Um, and I had been working on it long enough where I felt pretty confident about it. Like it wasn't something that I like threw together in a panic to try to meet this new need. Um, so I felt pretty like confident in pushing it as a solution for teachers who had to suddenly move to virtual solutions. Um, and so, yeah, so that after I started pushing it in 2018 and then with COVID, it really took off and then um, it's continued to grow since even after the pandemic has, or like schools have totally opened up again. Sure. Um, pe people enjoy it and I get a lot of good feedback. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm very happy with the, the new version of the business. It must have been so helpful for teachers that were struggling during COVID to kind of get things set up to have kind of canned lessons that you were creating that honestly fit right into the virtual teaching environment because they were engineered that way. Yeah. You know, I was so fortunate because, because like my specialty is like gifted education. Um, a lot of districts, the way that they handle um, that population is they have like one specialist who will travel from classroom to classroom or sometimes even from school to school and meet with kids throughout the week. Um, so I had engineered the site to allow for that, where you're not going to be with this kid every day. And so um, it, it was a pretty easy transition to, well, you're never going to see this kid for like months um, because I'd kind of already built that into the website. So yeah, a lot of things like worked out well. Um, I was like a little bit early to this. It felt really good to have something that teachers could just use. And I think it, I think it did help a lot of people. Well, I can tell you a lot of listeners are doing something online in terms of not necessarily education, but training or uh, online based business. And you also had to build all that out at the same time. Can yeah. you share with us some of your favorite apps and services that help make all this go? Yeah. So as when I was mostly doing the consulting, all of the like business side was pretty easy. Um, I just had my email address. I would just email with, you know, whoever was hiring me 
just a few invoices here and there. Um, but as as it started to move to the the online version, I would get a lot of like small orders, like one teacher in a school district wanted to buy it. Um, you know, support issues started to pop up. And moving from I handle everything in my own Gmail account to like, okay, how I have to bring somebody else on. How do I, how do you expand beyond that? Um, that was a real, like, that was hard for me to fit, find a good solution for. And at first, um, Gmail has like a, I think it's called delegate where you can sort of share your inbox with somebody else. Um, but that like hits a limit really quickly because I think you can only do it with one person and you start to lose the ability to like find, you know, go through the records and like find what people have emailed before. So I eventually settled on Help Scout. Um, and this, this has, I've been with them for like four years now. Um, and it's, it's kind of like a ticketing system, but it's really like the core, like record keeping place for the business. I have one other person who handles a lot of the, um, like the basic support and she helps a lot with purchase orders and just kind of like helping people through the purchasing process. And with Help Scout, she has her own account where she can log in. I can log in. Um, sometimes I have a third person who can log in and we can all see all of the different messages that have been sent in. And you can make like different boxes. I have one for support one for purchase orders. Um, so you can like filter things into certain buckets. Yeah. That's a popular service. I mean, software developers use it, but also online sellers use it. Yeah. And it, it's so helpful because you can just, you can search in there. If you bring up um, a customer, you can see all the conversations you've had with them. Um, and so it's really helpful if somebody emails me and they have this question and I have no idea what they're talking about, you can pull up a lot of that context really easily. Um, and you can plug it into like I, everything I do is like based around WordPress. So you can plug help scout into WordPress so I can pretty quickly like see that person's account in WordPress from within help scout. So I think, I feel like help scout really helped help me figure out how do you how do you handle as as your service like starts to scale how do you handle this instead of just using your own gmail account yeah um, and then when i've needed to add a third person you just give them a login and they can pop in you can you know if they go somewhere else you can just remove their account and everything just stays in there and how long have you been using it i just got an email from them saying i had been with them for four years Okay, so it's proven for you. Yeah, it would be hard to move off of it at this point. All um, right. And we use it, I hook it up with Gravity Forms. Um, and so when somebody wants, I, most, peop, most districts pay with a purchase order. So they can fill out this form on my website and then it just collects all that data and it pops up in Help Scout and we can, you know, handle the purchase order. You know, it's funny because years ago, this was like multiple people and software and now it's just like you go online and find a service and they all talk to each other. Yeah. I mean, I, I think sometimes, you know, they're all subscription services. Like they all cost yeah, they add a hundred, several yeah. hundreds of dollars sometimes. But you know, when I think of it as I'm like, I would have to like pay a full-time person to do some of these things, um, you know, 200 bucks a year or something 
doesn't feel like that much money when you think of it as like I'm I'm like hiring somebody. Yeah. How many how many people are on your team at this point? I have one person who's been with me for like four years. Um, and then I I recently brought on another person to help with some, she's like helping me find um, like missing pieces and lessons and kind of going through. So she's working part-time, but it's two of us who are doing most of the work. Sure. And how do you invoice? At first I use FreshBooks and then uh, somebody told me, I, other people were using this tool called Wave and uh, Wave was free and FreshBooks wasn't free. And I had started to reach a point where it was FreshBooks was kind of becoming more and more expensive. Um, so I use Wave. Um, one of my favorite things about Wave is they they have a, like, you can just pay the invoice directly with a credit card. Not a lot of schools use a credit card. But if they do want to use a credit card, that always becomes this problem because I have a subscription service and the, like, school credit card doesn't, it doesn't work with the subscription. So having Wave have this ability to just like pay through the invoice um, has has helped solve that like weird problem that I have with schools. Sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just another like it's just another great tool where once once you get the system running, you know, you, I have all the previous customers are in there. Um, it just like becomes easier year after year because you just have so much of the system built out. Um, you don't end up having to do as much, you know, data entry. Sure. And it's just a question of finding the right mix, right? You know, and yeah. not everybody knows it right away, but I always like talking about it with guests because I feel like once in a while something can help somebody out there. Is there any other bits of software you use to hold all this together? So my favorite uh, service that I use is called Earth Class Mail. And um, I ran into this problem Back in 2016, I think when I was last on the podcast, my wife and I were in the process of moving and we were like trying out a bunch of different cities. So we didn't have a permanent address for like six months. And um, that becomes a problem when, uh, you know, I get paid mostly through paper checks from school districts. So I had found that there are these services that basically act as your mailbox and they'll they will scan um, your mail that comes in. Um, if you get a check, you can authorize them to deposit the check. So once I start, once the site started growing and I was getting like lots of relatively small checks instead of like one or two big checks, yeah. um, I had to figure out a new solution for like cashing all these checks or depositing the checks. So Earth Class Mail gives you an address. You can have everybody send the mail there. Um, and the address just looks like a suite, like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't like look like anything different. And then they scan all the mail. Um, they have a pretty nice app. And so I can get notifications when mail comes in. And then they will, um, they'll like overnight the checks into my bank. Um, and so this, like, this has taken so much work off of my plate of like opening envelopes and signing checks. Um because it all just like happens behind the scenes. And then I can just open up the app and say, oh, look at, you know, these checks have come in. And it's a fun notification to get that they're depositing a check. Oh, yeah, definitely. Right. And I was looking at this website. We'll put it in the show notes. This one is very reasonably priced. I've looked at different services like this over the years. Yeah. And and this one starts at $19 a month for personal and up to $80 or $79 a month for an organization. But 
uh, yeah. you can spend a lot more money on services like this. Yeah. And there, there are some, there's a little bit of nickel and diming, you know, as you get more, more mail and, um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it's this much money, but it's, it's so much work off of my plate and it, you know, it basically acts as like a mail room for me. I know that you also are a ConvertKit user. Yeah. So I've jumped around for, um, ConvertKit is the like email software that I use to mail the mailing lists. Um, and I, I've jumped from like, I was on MailChimp originally. I jumped to something called Drip and then I've ended up with on ConvertKit now for several years. Um, but I do have a bunch of different mailing lists. So having a solution for targeting like different people based on what they're interested in is really helpful. And um, what I like about ConvertKit is they have these like visual tools where you can kind of like um, set up like a route where if somebody has this tag, you can send them down this path or send them down a different path. Um, so it has a nice like visual system for deciding like who's going to get um, which emails and and which mailing list they belong to. Yeah, it it is. I use it as well, and I think oh, they're cool. one of the better ones. And and also like uh, if you want, you can have it turn off the tracking pixel and stuff, so it's not as creepy. So that they're just whatever it is that you want, they will accommodate you, and I like that. Yeah, I feel like Mailchimp started to like they started going after much larger accounts. Um, and I, it, it seems like ConvertKit has stuck with um, people who are, you know, like our size, like kind of small indie businesses. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Unbury yourself from IT tasks and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. Turning a small business into an empire takes work, and you have to keep your ear to the ground for things that will help you take it to the next level. But this can be hard when your attention is pulled in different directions, because that's the reality of being a boss. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. Look, just because you can do the technology doesn't mean you should do the technology. When you're running a business, you need to be focused on what that business does, not being the IT person. You can farm that out to Electric and let them do that for you. I can tell you there were several times in my career where I was relegated to being IT, and I think it really hurt me. It hurt my career, and I could have done better legal work, frankly, if I wasn't spending the time also being the IT person. So electric would have been great for me back in the day, and I think it could be great for you too. And for Mac Power Users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. That's electric.ai slash MPU. Go there now and get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones for scheduling a qualifying meeting. And our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power Users. 
Ian, so we spent the last segment talking about how you make the business work, but at the end of the day, you are a video recording and production guy. You're making videos for these kids, uh, and quite a few of them. Yeah. It's changed a lot, uh, you know, over the years, like moving, like figuring out what, what works in this specific situation. Um, and I found that, you know, keeping it simple, um, it doesn't, it like shouldn't be like a Pixar movie with like all this animation um, and like really like highlighting what it is that I want students to be doing next. So like for all my visuals, I end up just using Keynote. Um, which helps me to really keep things simple. Like the lack of distractions within Keynote, I think helps me to move faster and um, I think make better videos for kids. Yeah, all right. I want to talk about that for a minute before we move on because you know Keynote, it continues to be an application that can do so much more than give a presentation to a live audience. Yeah. And uh, I use it all the time as well and field guides and other stuff I make because... It's just like a no-nonsense application, but at the same time, you can do some fairly sophisticated things with Keynote. Give, give us some examples of the ways you're using Keynote in your videos. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I get so comfortable with Keynote that I, I end up using it for things, yeah, that it's not just going to be a presentation. Um, sometimes I'll use it to make worksheets. Um, like, I, I find it easier than pages if you're moving a lot of um, objects around. You know, if you're if you're doing like worksheets, you have to have like boxes for kids to write in and um, you need things spaced out a certain way. And I always find like a word processor. I'm really like wrestling with what it wants to do. But with Keynote, you can set up the slide to look like a like a piece of paper. And then um, I find it much easier to use those like shapes and kind of use it as a layout tool. And then you can just export the slide as a PDF. And, you know, nobody knows that you did it in Keynote instead of some, like, word processor. Yeah, and those auto layout guides are so fast in Keynote. It really makes it just ridiculous how fast you can lay out a a decent-looking page. Yeah, and I use, that's something I use, you know, like, um, Keyboard Maestro and different tools to, to create some additional keyboard shortcuts when, like, you're, when you're doing that kind of layout. Sometimes Keynote doesn't always have um, the shortcuts. So yeah. I used to use ScreenFlow as my um, like video editing tool. And that came out of like, originally I was like doing my presentation into the webcam and then I had Keynote in the background and ScreenFlow is really good for that. But, you know, I eventually decided I didn't want to put my face in any of the videos, um, mostly because it adds, it would add so much complexity when I would go back to edit the videos, because sometimes I just want to change a word that I said, or, you know, just like one sentence could be clearer and having to go back and like put the right shirt on and like (laughs) reset up the lighting. Um, it was just, it, I would, I would end up making worse videos because I didn't want to go to all the trouble to make them better. Yeah. Making a little edit when your face is not on the screen for anybody that's ever done it before is, uh, like 50 times easier than doing it when you have video running. Cause there's no, almost no way to hide a chop when you see the person's face. Like humans are programmed to see that. And you can really, you know, you can really disguise an audio edit. Yeah. A lot easier than a video edit. 
Um, yeah, and so as I as I started to move away from having like multiple videos on the screen, um, screen flow's like main um, like benefit was no longer there for me. Yeah. Um, and so this was about the time Descript came out, and Descript has this like completely different workflow, like like nothing I had ever seen. Where as you're recording narration into it, um, it is like typing out the words almost as you're saying them. And then you can go in and edit audio as if you're editing and writing. Like you can select words you've said, delete them, um, and it all affects the audio as you're working with um, what looks like a script. Yeah. Um, And this, like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, like, it's a total game changer to be able to see the words that you're editing instead of having to constantly be playing it and like trying to find out where am I in this video? Um, you can just, you know, scan it. Like you can scan a document with your eyes. So I was like, this is a total game changer. And then the other thing that Descript has is, um, I figured out that you can copy a slide from Keynote and like in Mac OS, it will treat that slide just as a JPEG. And then you can paste it into Descript. So this let me like design the slide. And then I, rather than having to export the slides as JPEGs from Keynote, I could just select the slide and then I can select the text into script and just paste. And now if I play it, that slide will appear, you know, as I'm saying those words. And I, f- I feel like this, like 10 X the speed that I could make videos because I was, I didn't have to do these exports. I didn't have to like figure out where do the words end. And it, it also removed even more temptation to do a lot of animation because I'm just copying static slides and pasting them over the words. Um, and you can do some like basic transitions in Descript, but it really helped me to, I think, simplify and clarify these videos and to put the emphasis on what are students going to be doing at the end of each video. The script is just so powerful for this type of workflow because it's text-based, not waveform or video-based. And every editor I've always worked with has, you know, used that old-fashioned tech, right? But with the script, you can literally just go and edit a text file, in essence, and change the audio. I've actually used it for some of the stuff I've done in the labs and never told anybody, and nobody's ever been any wiser to it. But you do have to make certain changes with the way you do the video, right? You can't have, yeah. you know, animated slides except for what the script allows. Uh, I don't think it works that good for screencasting because there's too much motion in the video. Mm-hmm. And when you just start chopping it with words, if you if the words overlap like motion or, or a dialogue box or something, then the video jumps and nobody knows how you got there. But for the kind of stuff you're doing, it's perfect. Yeah, if I'm doing any kind of screencast, um, I'll still do that in ScreenFlow. And then I there's still times where I will export an animation from Keynote, and then you can drag that video file into Descript. For me, it's usually if I'm like scrolling through a worksheet to show students like different parts of it, you kind of want that transition um, so they have context. So there are still times where I'll bring in animation from Keynote, um, and you can you can just add video in as well. Yeah. But make sure you don't you do that after you're done with the audio edit because you don't yeah. want to chop it up. 
Yeah, because the script, yeah, it ends up tying the audio to the video in a way that doesn't really happen in other video editors. Um, and then it also has this AI voice feature that where you can actually just type what you want it to say. And um, after you've trained it, it will like it will say the words in your voice. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't really work well for like full sentences, but sometimes there's like one word that I want to change. And um, if I use that, they call it overdub. Um, sometimes it will produce a realistic enough version of my voice that nobody can notice. And I'll play it for my wife. And I'm like, can you tell what the computer said <laughs> and what I'm saying? Um, and, you know, if she can't notice it, then it just helps to simplify the process of like refining the video so that, you know, it's, it's like as good as it can be where I don't have to go and like re-record a whole sentence. I mean, right now we're basically there with the AI technology to simulate anyone's voice where you have enough sample. Like if you, if you dumped all the hours of Mac power users into the, uh, the system, you would be able to recreate my voice convincingly. Yeah. And I think in a few years, it'll be where you don't even need that much sample. Yeah. Don't believe anything you hear, I guess is right after don't believe anything you see. Yeah. But yeah, so Descript for me, it's it has just really simplified and like accelerated my workflow where I feel like I can get videos done, you know, in one day where it might have taken me like a whole week to get them all done um, using other tools. Yeah, it is. It's very powerful. And I think not enough people like give it credit because it really is such a game changer in the way it showed up and they continue to uh, improve upon it, you know. Uh, I can't decide whether to, because I've got the the entry-level account, and I can't decide whether to keep it or not, because so much of the stuff I do needs bigger tools than this. But yeah. man, then, then once, though, you know, once every month or two when I use it, I'm just like, this is amazing, and it's so fast. How long until I can do this for everything? Yeah. Now, you've also kind of gone into automation uh, with some of the stuff you're doing now, right? I, you were telling me you're a big keyboard maestro user these days. Yeah, I've I've used keyboard keyboard maestro for years. As I've incorporated more um, like web apps and those kinds of web services into my workflow, I found things like keyboard maestro really help like handle the navigation in some of those apps um, where they don't have a lot of like keyboard shortcuts when it's a web page and a lot of that like built in kind of automation doesn't work. Keyboard maestro, I mean the the one that's really amazing is. You can have it look for an image on the screen um, and it can wait until the image shows up. And then when it sees the image, it can act on it. Uh, And so what you can do is just like take a screenshot of a button that you want to click and Keyboard Maestro can look for the button. And then once it sees it, it will simulate a click. Um, and, And then you can have it go through like multiple menus once you like start to build that out. Uh, and I find it so helpful for like, like Google's web apps, like Google Docs and Drive. I'm always like befuddled by what, like where everything is. Uh, and so having, having these Keyboard Maestro scripts, I, can, I, I assign them on the st- stream deck. And then it's like one button and it will do all this work for me and then put something onto like the clipboard that I can go use in another app. Um, and again, it just like streamlines these repetitive tasks. That feature is like the get out of jail free card of automation. 
yeah, it seems like there's there's no way to automate this. But oh, if I can just take a screenshot of the button, then Keyboard Maestro can like figure it out. And it reliably works. That's the weird thing, right? You know, it, it once you set it up, it generally works. Yeah, and I didn't know, maybe it's a newer feature, but that like pause until you see the image, like macro. Before I was like trying to, I would add like a pause, like wait five seconds or wait half of a second. But now that it has the ability to wait until it sees the image and then click it, um, you can really like move through something as fast as the computer can go. I, I still find that kind of iffy for me. I find the actual hard pause is more consistent. But um, yeah, but yeah, it's a nice feature, and you know they just continue to add stuff like that. I mean, that that's where like shortcuts is never going to have a feature like that. Look at the screen and and push where you find. An oh, sure. Image. It will also if you have any iOS apps that you run on your Mac, um, that's a way that you can automate those because sometimes don't those don't have any like keyboard shortcuts at all, or they don't even respond to the keyboard. Um, so my, that invoicing software I use, Wave, um, they have an iPhone app that will run on the Apple Silicon. And I find that, that that app is a little easier to do some of the simpler tasks, like like marking something paid. Um, so, I can, so I can write a keyboard maestro script that just works with their iOS app because it's running on the Mac. Yeah, I just did that reason. I used Loom for some of my video stuff, like internal team video stuff. But it's the same thing. It, it opens up a web page. You got to wait for something to load. Then you got to press another thing. It's very manual. The, you know, the yeah. process does not automate, but I just automated it using Keyboard Maestro and Recognize Image. And it, get, it makes me giggle every time yeah. I run. <laughs> because, you know, you do that. That's the kind of thing you might do five times a day. And every time you're pecking around with the mouse, you just want to, like, throw the mouse through the window because it's so slow and being able to automate that stuff makes a huge difference. And there's something fun about seeing like the menus popping up and disappearing because the like computer is like doing all the work for you. Yeah. But you get to see it happen because it's like looking for those images on the screen. Yeah. Now do you, do you do your trigger your automations with the keyboard or do you use the stream decks? How do you generally get your automations to get started? I mostly have it on the Stream Deck now, um, which that's really helpful because you start to run out of those hotkeys that you can assign to things. Yeah. Um, and so having, you know, on, on the Stream Deck, you can make folders and you can, especially if you have the big <laughs> Stream Deck or multiple big Stream Decks, you know, you can just keep adding all of these like, like really um, like specialty macros, you know, that, that ordinarily I might... I might not feel like it's worth it to use up like a keyboard shortcut. Um, and then, of, I'm, you know, I can't remember all of them. So I really like the Stream Deck. Well, I'm going to put something in the show notes for you, Ian. It's called a double Stream Deck XL stand. It's 3D oh. printed. It's got magnets <laughs> embedded. I, I have one. Oh, that's awesome. I sent you a text message while we've been recording. Yes, if you look I see at it, it here. That's what yeah. that is, and the double decker. Uh, it is a uh, it is the the ultimate enabling device. Yeah, but you know, then I do like when I'm using the laptop. I don't have the Stream Deck, um, so I I do have Keyboard Maestro as you know as a fallback where I can still use those macros, um, even if it's just running them from Keyboard Maestro. 
um, if I don't like remember all the the triggers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if I'm at the desk, the Stream Deck is really helpful to just enable me to add as many of those as I want. Yeah. Conflict palettes are still really handy with the Keyboard Maestro. Yeah. Uh, Alfred, uh, I know you use that as well for some of your automation. Yeah, Alfred is one of those tools where if it's not working, I like forget how to use the computer. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like I'm constantly bringing it up. Um, and one of the things that I like best about it is you can assign it these snippets. Um, and what I use it for are when I I reference a lot of like articles that I've written. Um, and normally I, I end up like Googling through my own website to like try to find where that one article is. Yeah. Um, so I took some time and like I noticed like if I keep sending people this one link um, to save those as snippets in Alfred, um, and then you can just, you know, you can give it a like reasonable name. And then as you start to type it out, Alfred just will will surface that to the top and then you can put it to the keyboard, uh, put it to the clipboard or, or just um, uh, type it directly in. Uh, so that's something I use Alfred for a lot is pasting in those like commonly used URLs. Yeah. And then again, using a lot of web services, they have like, I, I just find that it's hard to navigate them. I forget like which, which button is going to take me to this feature. Uh, so I just, I started like bookmarking all of the pages that I go to um, in Safari. And then you can set Alfred up so it can see your Safari bookmarks. Um, and then you can start to type the name of the bookmark and it will like pop it up. Um, so you can go directly to these uh, pages that you've bookmarked. And so I, I, I name my bookmarks, you know, if it's for birdseed, I put like a, a BS and then the name of the thing. So I can quickly get to all the birdseed, like WordPress pages, like at admin pages, yeah. um, convert kit is the same way. You know, if I want to get to the rules or the automation, um, those are all bookmarks that I can get to through Alfred. And then that stuff syncs because it's in Safari. It'll sync to my laptop. It'll sync to my phone. Um, so making use of those, like saving a lot of Safari bookmarks has been, um, has really helped me speed up navigating those like web apps. Yeah. And they're free, right? You don't really see them. They just right. show up in Alfred when you search them. Another yeah. related feature in Alfred that very rarely comes up on the show, but I use all the time, is where you can have a custom search for a website. And yes. if you just look at the search URL on any website you go to, and let's say you go to a certain like educational resource site, you can create a custom search for that. Just like Alfred can search Google, it could search that yeah. website with a, a very short keyboard st uh, shortcut. I'm not going to go into the details of how you do it here, but if, you, if you're not familiar with that and you use Alfred, I'd recommend spending a couple minutes thinking about websites you use frequently and adding those. Yeah, and I do, I do actually have that set up for the WordPress sites that I run. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Clean My Mac X. Make your Mac as good as new and get 5% off today. Go to macpaw.app MPU. Your Mac is a crucial tool for work, education, and life. I mean, we all depend on them. And Clean My Mac X, developed by MacPaw, pursues a mission to help your machines help you. Clean My Mac X is an ideal decluttering app for the Mac that can keep it in tip-top shape. 
Not only does Clean My Mac X help me find large and unused files, it goes through and does maintenance on my Mac. It looks for big chunks of data that I don't use any longer and gets rid of it. It looks for malware. And I particularly like the optimizations it'll do. It will go through and do all those scripts that I used to do by hand in the terminal. It is remarkable how much junk your Mac can accumulate if you don't keep on top of it. But Clean My Mac X does all of that for you. In fact, there are 29 tools in total to prevent the most common issues Mac users have, like preventing your Mac from catching malware, or preventing overheating, or speeding up performance, or finding hidden junk folders. Clean My Mac X is notarized by Apple, so it's been checked for security, and it won the Red Dot Award for Best Designed Mac App in 2021. In the free version of Clean My Mac X, you have a free menu app to check your Mac's health. Clean My Mac has been around for 14 years and basically invented Mac cleaning. All Mac Power users listeners get 5% off. Check out the link in the show notes now or go to macpaw.app/mpu. Once again, that is macpaw.app/mpu or click on the link in the show notes. I use this app regularly. I really trust the developer and I feel like they've done a great job in developing a tool that does all the drudgery for me and keeps my Mac in tip-top operating shape. Uh, if you're looking for one, this is the one. And our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support for the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. All right, Stephen's not here, so I feel free to be a hippie today, Ian. <laughs> okay. You have had an impact on me. Years ago, you wrote a post about how you did these retreats uh, that I picked up on, and I do them. I, I would say you and Mike um, Schmitz have both influenced me on that, but I find personal retreats very valuable, and I know you do them a lot as well. Uh, yes. Um, do you still do them? And, and share with us a little bit of kind of your workflow for a retreat. Yeah, so I, I got this idea from, uh, it's a podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us. Um, and they, they talk about this founder retreats. And yeah, if you like run a business, it's important to take time <clears throat> where it's not a vacation, but you're also not directly like doing your day-to-day work. Um, and so the idea, the way that I've done them, um, they've ended up being quarterly for me because that, that just ends up being like the rhythm where I find myself like forgetting what it is that I want to be doing. Um, and often I'll, I'll realize, oh, like a quarter of the year has passed. It's time to do a retreat. So I try to do two nights away. Um, and the idea is to go somewhere that's, um, that's not very exciting. Um, you don't want to go to like Vegas to do a retreat, but something that's like in nature, go to the forest or the beach or something. Um, and really like unplug from the usual routine. And it's really about like trying to, to plan, like, what do I want the next three months to be like? Um, and a, a big part of it is like the first night for me is always reflecting on how things have been going. Um, and I always like ask myself, you know, I got these two questions from, from this other podcast, but like, what, what is, um, you know, what's giving you life and what is taking life away from you? Um, and those, I find those questions to be so useful because it's really obvious, like right away, what in the last, you know, year or so has really been like feeding me and what is like killing me. <laughs> and then the rest of the retreat is really like, once you realize these are some things that I need to like get rid of or reduce, 
um, that's what the retreat like becomes about. Like, what am I, how am I going to change some things in the next three months so that I have more of the life-giving moments and fewer of the life-draining moments? Well, I find it very uh, useful and practical. I, I kind of extended it. To me, I take it beyond work. For me, it's kind of, I call it a personal retreat because I sure. think about it in terms of my personal life as well. But the thing that's interesting to me after having done this now for a few years is that the process refines, like the big mm-hmm. problems you're solving the first couple times you do it become solved problems. And then after that, you're working on smaller problems and, you know, bigger problems can show up. But I do find that overall, it, it allows you to really kind of dial in over time. Yeah, I think it's I've been doing it f- maybe like four years. I mean, COVID kind of messed a lot of it up where it was it was hard to take a retreat for a couple of years. Um, but I kept I, I would just go to like a hotel, like in just down the street, even like just removing yourself from your usual routine. Um, but yeah, it it's hard not to also think about your personal life and like all that stuff gets intertwined. But I do find it interesting every like every quarter I think to myself, do I need to do this again? Like I've done it all these times, you know, I, the business is, is doing well. I feel like I've really refined what I've been doing. And then uh, my wife is very supportive of the retreats. She's like, no, you need to go do it. And then like, as I'm there, I'm like, oh yeah, I did need to do this because you know, a lot of the times it's just reminding myself of what I want to be focusing on. Um, because it is, as you start to refine the business and for me, like things are working really well, it becomes easy to start adding new stuff, uh, into, you know, what I want to do without really thinking about, do I want to actually add this or am I just like feeling bored right now? And I want something new to like excite me and going on those retreats, helps me to make that decision a lot better where I'm removed from, you know, my office and my big monitor. Um, and it really, it does help me realize, oh, I like, I probably don't want more things I have to do. Um, and it, it really helps save me from myself where I, you know, I tend to keep adding things and then I end up having to maintain all these things that I sort of added on a whim. Yeah, I think, in fact, it's a good idea to say when I go on this retreat, I'm going to do my best to kill something that I'm currently yes. doing and and give yourself enough space to take up a new opportunity that makes sense when it arrives. But uh, yeah. I, I think it's super productive. I did a short video on it, too, and I've heard from so many people over the years that do it now and love it. But you were one of my original inspirations for this. Um, what, what type of technology, if any, do you bring with you when you do one of these retreats? I, this is something where I will use an iPad and I, um, I try to keep, I try to keep the laptop at home. Um, and my, my worry is always the websites are all going to crash. Like while I'm away from my, you know, from my very efficient computing setup, but the iPad has enough apps for me where I can like log into a server and like reboot things if I need to. So I do feel pretty comfortable just taking an iPad. Um, and the iPad that I really like is the iPad mini. Um, it's got the, like the new, I have the new pen with it. I like that. It's pretty hard to do any kind of work on it. It's, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to find myself going down a rabbit hole and start like implementing things because the iPad is so 
inefficient for doing those. I don't have Keyboard Maestro to like whip me through Google Docs and and save all that time. So I do like, this is something where I do like writing by hand. Um, I have, I use um, Notability and I have like four years of notes in there from each of these retreats. And that that's one of the first things I do is I'll go back and like look at previous um, notes from my, my retreats in the past. And that like that experience is so, sometimes that's like half of the retreat is just looking at last retreats notes where I'm like, oh, I already like thought this through. And I like forgot that I had made these decisions, <laughs> you know, yeah. over the last three months, I've managed to get myself off track. Uh, and so that can be a big one. And it's uh, the, the longer you do it, it's super interesting. I know you like print out your journals, right? You like make books out of them. Uh, it's evolved for me, but I, I, I do them in day one and yeah. day one has a process where you can make books out of them, but yeah. the, the retreat stuff is in there, but so was other stuff too. But yeah. um, just like you, I find going back and reviewing it very useful Day one does yeah. have a feature where you can easily scan. If I if I do, because I, sometimes I will handwrite some of it and I'll just mm-hmm. scan it into day one. It doesn't really get indexed properly, but I don't need that. I just yeah. know, you know, I just want to go through and read them anyway, so they're there. Yeah, I, I really think there's as many ways to do this as there are people. Oh sure, yeah, but just just going back and like reading what you've written to yourself in the past, I find like very illuminating. Because I, f- I like forget about it so quickly and it's helpful to like, remember, oh, I've, I've kind of already thought some of this through. I can, you know, I can jump off of that now instead of like having to start from scratch. Well, I find it, it, it really helpful. And I know that, didn't you, didn't you go on a long trip recently for one of your retreats? So back in 2019, I took a trip to Japan by myself. Um, I have a Japanese grandma, so I'm a, I'm a quarter Japanese, so I've, I have an interest in Japan. And I did this like end of the year retreat for like a week. And I was like, this, this was really cool. You know, and I had this plan to like do it every year, like an end of the year. You know, if the business has done well, this is like a cool little celebration I can do. Um, and then Japan closed <laughs> for the yeah. next three years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did just go to Japan for a week and I did a bunch of um I did a bunch of thinking and reflecting and that that's an interesting like additional element is being in a totally different time zone from like most of my customers where the day it feels like weirdly um relaxing because everyone in America is sleeping and like no one's sending me email or anything to I don't have anything to worry about but I did find myself going back to the 2019 Japan trip and like reading through those reflections and and some of the things I had written it was like oh this this is exactly what I'm dealing with right now and I had already like made these decisions you know three or four years ago and going back and reading those reflections like it it does like help me like stay focused on what what I'm really trying to do yeah and that's why when people ask me well can't you just sit in a quiet room and think through the stuff. And I say, no, you have to write it down because you have to, you have to verbalize it even through your pen. Uh, That helps you in the moment, understand it more, but also in the future, it shows you some signposts that you will never see again. You, you will absolutely forget you thought about it before, but if you write it down, you can't escape it. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, I just had this experience and it, 
I just like, it makes, it makes me almost laugh out loud at like, oh, like how, how did I not remember that I already thought this stuff through? And yeah, being able to go back and look at those notes and see what I was thinking back then, um, it really helps me to avoid going down paths that I'm, I know I'm going to regret later. And I honestly think that's a, a benefit of journaling in general. If you just do a yeah, daily sure. journal, you find it all the time. But particularly yeah. when you're doing like a review and planning and you're, stri- and you're struggling with things, it, it gives you an easy way to find it uh, when you do it that way. I'm going to follow up with you one day about Japan. Though. We, we have a big plan in our house. We're going to, we, we have Japan 2025. That's, we've, been want- uh-huh. we've wanted to go to Japan since we were newlyweds. And yes. we're finally getting to a point. The kids are getting older, um, but we want to do it right. You know, Daisy wants to do Disney. I want to go to Kyoto. So we've got like yeah. a whole list. So someday I'm going to follow up with you on Dis- that. Disney Sea. Disney Sea is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I just want to go. I just want to go. At the yeah. End. Yeah. I, I think the retreat thing is great. Uh, I'm going to put, put a link into your blog post about it and okay. uh, my little video about it. I just think it's something that if you're thinking about doing and it sounds too woo-woo for you, just do it. Um, uh, Ian, I've talked to you about this before, and you strongly recommend getting away. But even if you just stay home for a couple days, that works too. I've done that several times, but it adds a degree of difficulty because when you're home, you're super tempted to get into production mode and not manager mode, which is what you do when you're yeah. home in front of your computer, the, the advantage of getting away is it really forces you just to think about the big picture stuff and not get lost in details. And yeah. every time I go offsite, I, I'm better at it because it's just, it's just so much easier when you're not in front of your, your screen. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by fast growing trees. Go to fastgrowingtreescom MPU right now and get 15% off your order. If you listen to the show closely, you know that I really enjoy gardening. I like going out and working in the yard, and I particularly like trees. I grow little bonsai trees, but I also grow big trees. And I'm really happy to welcome Fast Growing Trees as a sponsor to the Mac Power Users. With FastGrowingTrees.com, you can breathe some life into your own backyard this spring. From shade to fresh fruit to privacy and natural beauty, let FastGrowingTrees.com help you plant your dream garden with their expert advice and fast, reliable shipping. FastGrowingTrees.com's plant experts curate thousands of easy-to-grow plants, shrubs, and tree varieties for your unique climate, Mayer lemons to evergreens and everything in between. A lot of us want nice greenery around our homes, but it can be hard to know which plants will do best. But you don't need to worry about that because you get a customized recommendation based on your specific needs. And their plant experts are always available to help keep your plants growing healthy through the season and beyond. So no more waiting in long lines and hauling heavy plants around. You can just order online and your plants arrive at your door in just a few days. What I really loved about shopping at FastGrowingTrees.com is the variety. They just have so many different uh, varieties of trees and plants you can choose from. And when I go to the local home center, they just have a fraction of that. I live in a hot, dry climate, so there's a lot of trees that I like that won't grow there. But the ones that I want, they don't stock locally, but Fast Growing Trees has them. I ordered a Chinese pistache tree out of Fast Trees, and I can't wait to watch this thing grow in spring. In the fall, its leaves turn a deep red, which is going to be beautiful, and it's going to give me a ton of shade in my backyard. I just can't wait to get this thing really growing. 
Spring is here, and it's a great time to plant a new tree, do it with your kids, and make it a fun event. And with fast-growing trees, they have a 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, so you know everything will look great. Join over 1.5 million happy fast-growing tree customers. I'm among them. I'm going to be buying more from them. You can go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash MPU right now to get 15% off your entire order. That's 15% off right now at fastgrowingtrees.com slash MPU. And our thanks to Fast Growing Trees for their support of the Mac Power Users and Relay FM. Ian, I always like to end these interviews talking about a few apps and services that uh, you use and bring you to light that people may or may not have heard of. You've, have you got any up your sleeve? Yes, I have a few favorites. Um, All right. So the first one is called Trickster. And this is, uh, it's basically just a, a pop-up window that you can trigger with a keyboard shortcut. Um, and it just shows you the most recently modified or added files that are on your system. Um, so I use this all the time if I'm exporting something out of one app or if I've downloaded something, um, I can open Trickster and it will have those, those most recently used files right at the top of the window. And then you can you know drag them into a different app. You can right-click on them and open them in Finder or you know do services on them. You can do all the Mac OS stuff. Um, but it's it's just such it's one of those apps that I probably use you know hundreds of times a day where I just need to get to a file that I've recently touched in some way. You know, I used this app years ago and somehow lost track of it. I had forgot about it until I saw it in the notes. And then I went looking, and it's in the App Store. And if you have a SetApp subscription, it's on SetApp, so you already get it. But yeah, yeah. I uh, I endorse this one. That's a that's a great little app. And there have been various ways to hack the Mac OS over the years uh, to get you recent files and folders and things like that. But uh, Apple keeps shutting the doors on that kind of stuff. But this app Mm. just continues to work. And I would also recommend if you use it, use the menu bar piece of it. Because I think the menu bar piece of it's pretty cool too. Yeah. And you can customize it so it can, it'll ignore, you know, certain file extensions or, you know, you can refine what you want it to pop up. Like I think it, I think I had it ignore like dot app files because I don't I don't really care about those but um, I use it a lot for when I export images and then I want to use those images somewhere else another one that I use not as often but it's like when I need it it's uh, it's like a superpower um, and this one's called name mangler yeah um, and it's just it's like a bulk renaming tool but it it also supports like regular expressions so you know sometimes if if you just need to change like, the year in the file name on a bunch of files, it can do that really easily. But it can also handle more complicated like problems where you need to rename multiple things within files. Um, it is like a specialty app, but um, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is a job for name mangler, you know, and it saves like all this repetitive work. Yeah. And that one is by the developer Minitricks, who also makes Moom and a bunch of other just really great little utilities. I feel like um, when it comes to small utilities, Minitrix is like a seal of approval to me. Uh, yeah. Pretty much anything they make, uh, if it's a problem I'm working on and they make a solution for it, uh, I will use their solution because it's just yeah. always the best. You know. Yeah, it's it's just so nice to have these like little tools that solve like one problem, but they they solve the problem 
completely. Like there, there's no little edge cases that it can't handle. Yeah. Last year they came out with one called, I think it was last year called menuware where you right click and it puts the menu wherever your mouse is. Oh, really? I love that. I love that yeah. app so much. And you know, they, they just got a bunch of stuff like that. And, uh, and like I said, they, uh, they make good stuff. I'll put that in the links to many tricks and go there and check out all their apps. Yeah. And then my third thing is actually a piece of hardware. Uh, and this is a travel router. This is something I saw Ben Thompson had mentioned using a travel, a tiny travel router so that his kids could access like plain Wi-Fi, but he only had to buy like one uh, plain Wi-Fi account or something. And yeah. there was no more information. So I, I went on this hunt. I was like, what is this thing he's talking about? Um, and so I ended up buying, this one is called Slate. And it has this like a whole bunch of letters and numbers. It's like the least Apple experience trying to figure out which of these versions to buy. <laughs> like it's yeah. totally unclear which one is the best and what the difference is. Um, but this one has worked. So the the thing that this will do is like, if you're traveling, especially if you have like a family with you, you can connect it to like hotel Wi-Fi. And then once it's connected to like, like the Hilton Honors Wi-Fi, you can have it rebroadcast the Wi-Fi signal on a network like of your naming. So the way that we've used this is you give it the same like username or network and password as your home Wi-Fi. And then it will, you know, it'll broadcast that. And then all of the devices that you have will see it and it just thinks that it's at home and it will just automatically connect to it. So you only have to connect to the hotel Wi-Fi once and then all of the devices just automatically connect to this little travel router. And so this is like, it's very convenient to not have to log in with every single device, um, but it's really useful. Like we, we have a Nintendo Switch that we travel with. Um, that it has a hard time connecting to things like hotel Wi-Fi. Yeah. But it's already connected to our home network. So it just sees that and it's logged in. Or like some, once we took an Apple TV with us, um, and then that's like really easy to get the Apple TV online. Well, those are some great picks there, Ian. Thank you for well, sharing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, if people are interested in, in hearing more about what you have to do and what you have to offer, where should they go? Uh, yeah, so I, I write at birdseed.com, bird with a Y, which is my last name. Um, and then I do videos at birdseed.tv. Um, and those are the the main places to find me. Well, either way, Ian, thank you so much for coming in today and uh, updating us. Congratulations on all your success. It's well-deserved. And uh, I'm sure you're doing a lot of good out there with all that great content uh, for well, thank uh, people. You. Yeah, for people interested in learning, make sure you head over to birdseed.com. That's the great place to get started in there, learning about what uh, Ian's up to. I want to thank our sponsors, Tech Expander Electric, Clean My Mac X, and Fast Growing Trees. Stephen will be back next week, gang. And until then, we'll see you next week. <laughs>